as you know, what we are doing is we are applying each chapter of the book of Genesis. And as we move through, uh, we're in chapter 44, and we're making application to a rather unique passage of Scripture that has to do with Judah, largely about Judah. Actually, Benjamin and Judah, because something that happens with regards to the cup of Joseph. But uh, it, it has to do with Judah as far as this particular sermon is concerned. Here are the five questions that I hope to address during our sermon time. Go ahead and screenshot that, and then you'll be able to use that as you uh, move along through the lesson, filling in the blanks as you go. All right, here we go. In Genesis chapter 44, I'm drawn to the significance of Judah as being the topic. And you're saying to your son itself, so, well, Sonny, that doesn't even have Genesis 44 up there. Yeah, you're right. Because in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, you have what is really the primary fulfillment of what is said in the first book of the Bible. All the way back in Genesis chapter 44, we're going to have this discussion about Judah and his significance. And more than just chapter 44, as a matter of fact. We're going to have, I think it's 37 and, and then 44, and etc. But in Revelation 5 and 5, is this, all, this whole thing culminates. Remember, as, as Jacob becomes Israel, he gives birth to, to those boys. And, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And those are the, the, the 12 tribes that become what we call today the Jewish nation. And through them, we're going to find the Messiah will come. Specifically, we're going to find that Judah will play a role in the, in the coming of, of the Messiah. But many years later, John, in the New Testament, the last book of our Bible, is asked to write some information with regards to prophecy, eschatology. And these are the words that he writes about Jesus. And one of the elders said to me, John, who's weeping because this scroll has showed up and nobody seems to be able to read it because they can't open it. Weep no more, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So Jesus is going to be referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The word Judah actually means he shall be praised. And so Jesus comes, if you will, from the tribe of he shall be praised. And if there's anybody in all of anything that has ever been worthy of praise, it is certainly Jesus. But let's go back and notice some events, three specifically, in the, in the life of Judah, that kind of lead up to this whole fulfillment of a man who is worthy of praise, leading to a time when the Messiah comes that is even more worthy of praise. In Genesis 37, again, we're not even in 44 yet, but you we're getting there. In Genesis 37, we're going to set this thing up. One of the first opening primary moments of, in Judah's life is going to happen in, in chapter 37, and we're going to see him at the pit. You might recall Joseph has been thrown down in there by his brothers, and they're discussing what to do with him. And it says, Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood could come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. There's a couple of ways of looking at this passage. The one that's pretty obvious and seems to be the uh, predominant interpretation of this is that Judah is saying, hey, we can make a profit here. And so why kill him? Let's make a profit. The other way is to suggest that he said, oh, he's our own flesh, and so at least let's let him live. 
You know, he may have a horrible life the rest of his life being a slave down there in Egypt or whatever, but at least let's let him live. I kind of default to the first one. I think at this particular time, jo Judah's heart is not where it needs to be. And I want to make an interesting parallel. Did you know that the word or the name Judas is actually the New Testament name in Greek for the Old Testament Hebrew name of Judah? They're actually parallel names. And so if Judah were to show up in Jesus' day, they would call him Judas. If Judas were to show up back in the day of the sons of Israel, they would have called him Judah. So it's, a, it's basically the same name. And do you not find it interesting that Judah of the Old Testament is going to be a parallel or a front runner to Judas of the New Testament in this idea of selling the man of God? Let's, let's make a profit off of him. Uh, instead of uh, killing him, let's just make a profit off of him. And Judas, of course, does the same thing in the New Testament with Jesus, does he not? Now, the reason this is an important point at the pit to start with is because I want you to see the journey that Judah is going to be taking. And sadly, his journey is going to be remarkably different than the journey of Judas, his namesake in the New Testament. Judas does not perform well. Judah, on the other hand, it does seem that he has a real change of heart. And that's a big application I think you and I can make for ourselves. Let's just go there. It's not just at the pit, but now I want to go to the throne. Speaking of the throne of, of, uh, jo of Joseph himself, as the, meaning the, the place of authority. What's going to happen is that the brothers are going to be, they're going to have their sacks filled with grain, and then the steward is going to be told by Joseph that um, put all their money back in the sacks and put my silver cup in Benjamin's sack. The brothers head out towards home. They're not too far down the road. Steward comes running up behind him and says, hey, 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 let's, I got a, something's missing. I need to check out what's going on here. And uh, so we find that the, the cup is found in Judah's, or excuse me, in Benjamin's sack. And here's what transpires. Then Judah went up to him and said, speaking to Joseph, who he still doesn't know is his brother. Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself, which is true. Remember what Pharaoh said. I, nobody's going to be over you in all of Egypt except for me. And so Joseph, in a lot of ways, is just like Pharaoh. And so Judah is acknowledging that. He's saying, look, I need to ask you something. Your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. In other words, Judah said, We know you told us not to come back to Egypt unless we had our little brother with us. And so I convinced my dad to let us bring Benjamin with us. But I said, I will bear responsibility for his safety. And so now Judah is saying, would you please allow me to bear responsibility? Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Joseph has already made the decree that whoever stole the, the cup, which they didn't really steal it, it was planted, but whoever took it is going to have to stay and be a servant to, to Joseph. And um, so Judah says, oh, I can't, my dad will die if that happens. And he says to Joseph, he says, who he doesn't know is his brother. He says to Joseph, he says, can I take his place, please? This is the big difference between Judas and, and Peter. 
Uh, it's a big difference between Judas and Judah as well. But remember what happens with Peter. Peter is going to do basically the same thing that Judas does. He's going to deny his Lord. Yet Peter will repent. Judas on the other, Judas goes out and he hangs himself, right? Well, I want you to notice now what's taking place in the life of Judah. When he comes to the throne room, Judah is finally grown to the point where now he feels the need to take responsibility. He's thinking beyond himself. Back at the pit, it seemed like that he was thinking about him. Let's make a profit. But now all these years have transpired. We've already had the discussion prior to this. You might recall that Joseph overhears the brothers talking about uh, what they've done to Joseph and how they're upset about it and they, they feel remorse and they know that they're being punished for it and all those kind of things. Remember, well, Judah was a part of that conversation too. And so Joseph is recognizing <clears throat> a change of heart in Judah's life. As Judah now has gone from a guy who suggests they make a profit off their brother to a guy who is willing to take the punishment for his little brother. <clears throat> and I think Joseph is probably impressed. <clears throat> Forgive me. <clears throat> and so again, I think you can make a big, massive application to what's going on as far as the significance of Judah. Now, this third point really brings a lot of things home for me. Because I, as I was researching it, and I, uh, maybe you've asked the question yourself. Judah is not the oldest child of Jacob. And so you got to ask yourself, why does Judah become the prominent one through whom Jesus is going to come? Secondly, you might consider Joseph. I've often wondered why Jesus doesn't come through the lineage of Joseph. Because Joseph is clearly the favorite child of Jacob, who is Israel. And yet I think that one of the reasons is because of the life story of Judah. Now Judah didn't have, I'm not saying this guy's a pristine character, but if you think about it, None of God's heroes in all of the Bible, except for Jesus, are pristine characters. They all got some major faults, don't they? So I, I kind of think it's maybe the change of heart that's happening here. Watch this. This is rather interesting, I think. It's at the pit, at the throne, and then at the end. Jacob's about to die. That's Israel. He's about to die, and so he's pronouncing his blessings upon his boys. Okay, And it's a very important time in the, in the final days of, of, of Jacob's life. And it says that Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. That's the blessing that I'm going to pronounce upon you. It's a, a prophetic moment um, that uh, Jacob's going to enter into. First, you're going to start with Reuben, who is the oldest child. He says, Reuben, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. We don't have a lot of information about this, other than it sounds like a pretty horrible thing for him to do. But Reuben is not going to be the, the, the child that is going to have the primary blessing, especially with regards to the coming of a Messiah. Uh, Reuben is not going to happen to Reuben because Reuben lusted after his father's concubine. Well, then he moved to Simeon and Levi. And if you've been paying attention as we've traveled through the book of Genesis, you know it hasn't been that many chapters prior that they went through and they killed all the men of a particular city. I believe the name is Shechem. Yeah. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Which was demonstrated when Simeon and Levi killed 
uh, all the men of Shechem because, remember, Dinah had been defiled, and then they convinced them dishonestly. They all get circumcised while they're laid up in bed because of the circumcision. They go in and actually kill all the men. And uh, so Jacob, Israel, he's going to say, Simeon and Levi, I'm passing over you too. So Jacob passes over Reuben, Simeon, and Levi to get to his fourthborn, which is Judah. And this is what he says to Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Now I want you to pause for a moment because that sounds a lot like what happened to, Ju to Joseph in his dream, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Your brothers are going to bow down before you. Judah's a lion's cub. There you got that whole idea that we saw in the book of Revelation. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. Who stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Then watch this, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him. The scepter, that, that thing that kings carry around, that shows that they are the ruling uh, authority in all the land. He says, that's not going to depart from Judah. In other words, Judah, you're going to have this ongoing authority that's going to take place. And even though Judah, I'm sure, doesn't recognize it at the time, it is an eternal authority because through Judah, we're going to get Jesus. And Jesus is going to have that eternal scepter that rules over the church, his people, throughout eternity. And so it's at the end. It's not just at the pit. That, that one's not very nice. We begin to see Judah's real side there with regards to selling his brother for money. But then, over the years, he, he had a change of heart. And at the throne, he, he actually gets to a place where instead of wanting to sell his brother for money, he's willing to take the penalty for his brother to keep him safe. And then at the end, when jo Jacob's about to die, he gets this extreme blessing, which, again, watch this, is fulfilled in Revelation 5 and 5, which is where we started this thing. And now, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What do we say over here? That he's a lion's cub somewhere. There is lion's cub. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Remember, Judah means he shall be praised. And that's what happened here, didn't it? But I ask you to continue to read in Revelation chapter 5 and watch what happens immediately following this declaration that Jesus, the Lamb, the Lion of Judah, he can open the scroll. Notice what happens in the context immediately following. He's praised. The Lamb is praised. And so there's a lot of things you can say about Judah, obviously. But I've often wondered, and perhaps you have as, have as well, you know, why Judah? What's it about Judah that, that brings about this lineage that eventually we would have the Messiah? Well, I'm not, I think it has to do with the life story. It doesn't necessarily begin at the pit, but that's one of the big moments where, he, you know, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not a nice side of Judah. But he journeys. And instead of being like Judas of the New Testament, he's actually like Peter of the New Testament. He has a change of heart, so much so that at the throne he's willing to take the punishment upon himself rather than his little brother having to endure it. And at the end, Judah is praised, which is exactly what the name means, but really pointing to the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the one who can open the scroll. That's good stuff, isn't it?
here are the five questions that I tried to answer as we, we covered that remarkable passage.